The seven trumpets of Revelation chapters 8 and 9 are intended to break the strongholds that Satan will have erected over the tribulation world to clear the path to Jesus' conquest of the earth. But what are these seven trumpets and how do the events that they usher in break those strongholds? We'll talk about it on this week's episode of Revelation Unveiled on Faith by Reason. Welcome to Faith by Reason. The website behind it all is faithbyreason.net. There you will find hundreds of hours of study material, blogs, podcasts, and video. And we are continuing our study of the book of Revelation, and we are on chapters 8 and 9, the seven trumpets. And as I said during the uh, last episode, and I've been making it pretty clear the last few months, is that I do not believe that these trumpets are direct judgments of, from God on onto a sinful world, it, just as I don't believe the six seals were God's judgments. I think his judgments don't happen until the bowl, the bowls of wrath, which we'll talk about uh, down the road quite a bit. But these trumpets, actually, although they will be cataclysmic and they will, and they are from God, unlike this, the, uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, who I believe are from Satan, these are from God, but their intention is not pure judgment. Their intention is to bring down satanic strongholds and I talked about that last week. You can go back to uh, last week's episode and get all of that information. So what's happening now? Basically, spiritually speaking, these strongholds, and I also want to talk about what these strongholds are. Strongholds are those false negative belief systems that allow Satan to have power over our lives. And during the time of the tribulation, after the false apocalypse, the world will have definitively chosen Satan and his Antichrist as their God and master by worshiping the Antichrist. So Satan will have convinced the world that he and his fallen angels and his Antichrist are the omnipotent source of prosperity, provision, life, death, and overall control, both in the physical and spiritual realms. They are going to set themselves up as the true gods and the and, and they will uh, portray the God of the Bible, Jehovah and Jesus as false gods who are actually the enemies. And so that's where people are going to be. And if you want more on that, just go to the whole series on the false apocalypse, which I covered for uh, several episodes um, on uh, Revelation chapter six. So with the world having made their definitive choice, with them choosing Satan, it's time for God to bring things to a close. And the first thing he's going to do is reclaim the earth. We talked about it again last week that the, uh, Jesus has, has legal ownership over the earth. He hasn't claimed it yet. And now God is going to start the, pro the, the process of closing escrow on Jesus's property by kicking out the squatters. And that's what that's what's going on here. And we uh, saw how God he models that he modeled it in the past through the taking of the of the land of Canaan in the book of Joshua. So, again, I go over that. I went over that last week. Please check that out. And so in this episode, we are going to uh, go through the first four of the the trumpet blast and we will see the events they usher in and then i will tell you how each of these how these each of these blasts affect the 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 physical world and how they bring down the spiritual strongholds so let's just start by diving in let's just read the uh first uh several verses of revelation chapter eight with the first four trumpet blasts and uh <clears throat> excuse me starting with verse one when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. 
Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The, the first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was, was burned up, and all green, excuse me, a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. Then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And I looked and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpets of the three angels who are about to sound. Okay, there is a tremendous amount of things happening here in this chapter. Just amazing. And I'm going to get through it as, as best I can in, in the time we have a lot of this amazing stuff happening here. So before we break down these verses, though, I want to talk about interpretation because as with you know everything else in the bible different people have different views of it i have mine and others have theirs and i want to you know be fair enough to present how other people see them and and why i disagree where i do disagree so basically these trumpets they're going to usher in some of the worst devastation the world has ever seen i mean the impact is almost unimaginable and we'll talk about that as we go through the the, the different um the the effects and so much so that many people, including many Bible scholars and commentators, try to dismiss or allegorize the events in order to make them seem less destructive and make or and make themselves feel more comfortable. Um, however, if it is not already clear, I take Revelation and, and frankly the entire Bible seriously. I don't like to say literally because you know people come up with some crazy stuff. So, oh, you take the Bible literally, then you must believe that that God is a chicken because you know He says that He He. He longs to take Israel under his wings like a, a chicken gathers her chicks. So don't be silly. That's, that's of course, symbolic. So I take the Bible seriously. Um, and unless the Bible gives a clear ling linguistic indication that a, that a passage is allegorical, symbolic, or rhetorical, or using poetic license, and I, then I take it literally. And I see no such indications in Revelation 8 and 9. So I take these chapters as literally as I can based on what's physically and spiritually happening. And, you know, you, you're welcome to disagree. But... That is my that, that's my point of view. And these things are happening in the physical realm, but again, they affect the spiritual realm. And some Bible commentators, many of whom I respect greatly, tend to, I guess I would say, despiritualize uh, these things. They, they want to try to come up with an explanation that is not supernatural or less supernatural than what the Bible actually says, which is kind of ironic because... These are the same people, again, good Bible scholars who believe in the supernatural to a degree. I mean, they believe in, a, in an invisible God that none of us have ever seen. 
They believe that you know Jesus was born of a virgin that you know he was miraculous, miraculously born. They believe that he walked on water and turned you know fishes and loaves, a few fishes and loaves into a meal that could feed thousands. They believe he walked on water. They believe he rose from the dead on the third day, and then they kind of stop. They kind of believe, okay, well, that was it. That was the end of the miracles. I mean, you know, the disciples did a few miracles as well, but that was it. And all miracles stopped in the first century and everything else is, has a naturalistic explanation. And they try to do that with these seven trumpets. And they'll say, well, yeah, this is just what John saw. But he, what he really means is this. What they do is they, they, they'll modernize it and say that John, they have this, this false impression that the apostle John or basically anyone born, you know, several hundred or a couple thousand years ago are just stupid. They're just primitive rubes who didn't know anything and they were just in awe of our modern technology. So they look at our our vehicles and our technology and they just kind of put it into spiritualized forms. But this first of all, this is not true. John and all the disciples were not idiots. They were literate men. They were learned. They could read and write and reason. They were, especially people like Paul, were absolutely brilliant. And John was an intelligent person. He knew what, if he didn't use a simile, if he didn't say something was like something, then he meant it was exactly what he stated it was. He wasn't just in awe. And we'll see that. I'll give examples of that as we go through it. But one of the problems with this modernization is that it limits the timing of the, these events in Revelation to our age. Because if John sees an airplane and he thinks it's a great bird, then you're saying that this the Revelation, these events of tribulation can only happen during our period of time where we have airplanes. And so again, it, I, I, I don't like that. And I think that it, it does a disservice to the text and to the writer. Um, another thing that many Bible teachers do, and, and secular people too, is they allegorize this to the point where nothing's really happening. They make this like it's, it's not really it's not really devastating things happening to the earth it's all allegory it's all you know god talking about something else he's just he's using symbols he doesn't mean that there's real fire he means you know the fire of the gospel or something else that just takes away from the devastation and the reason they do that the reason many of them do it is because they want to soften god they don't they don't like the idea of they have this this image that you know God is loving, which he is, but they have the idea that loving means nice. You know, God is loving, so God must be nice. Jesus is loving, so Jesus must be nice. And since they, it says you're defining them as a nice person, a nice person would never do anything bad and harsh. So our loving God would never burn up the trees and cause hell and fire to rain down and turn oceans to blood. He would never do that. So it must be something else. That's not, but again, you are reading your interpretation of God into the Bible. That's called eisegesis as opposed to exegesis, where you read the Bible and then take what the Bible says and apply it to the world. Eisegesis is where you take what you already believe about God in the Bible and read that into the Bible. So you change the Bible to fit your beliefs instead of allowing the Bible to, to change your beliefs. So, you know, those are a couple of ways. And, and the last thing they people do in, in, in interpret these, it, interpreting these uh, um, events is they regionalize it. And by that, I mean, they say that these events are only happening in the Middle East, you know, which is where uh, the, the, most of the Bible takes place in Israel and Egypt and Babylon and Syria and places like that. So and, and that would be the only world that John knew. So when John says these things affect the world, he just meant like, you know, the Middle East, the Mediterranean area, because that was the world at that time. And I guess I could theoretically understand that because, you know, the Bible is focused on that particular region. However, the language makes it clear that this affects the entire world earth and, it, and this would not be much of a 
um, a, a, a judgment, if you want to call it that, or it would not be much of an escrow closing on the entire world if it only affected, you know, an area that's maybe, you know, one tenth of the size of the world. That, how would that how would that convince anyone living here in the United States? If you say, oh, look at all, the, all those things happening over in Israel. Oh, that's too bad for them. We're going to keep living our lives over here. No, this I think these things are worldwide. And but, so I don't think they're just regional. All right. So with that said, and now that we're 12 minutes in, let's start breaking down these verses. This is probably going to be a longer episode. So brace yourself. Break it up into a couple of listenings or viewings if you have to. So here we go with, chapter, with uh, verse 1. And when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. So a couple of things. First of all, this is we're still in the seals. Technically, we talked about uh, this a couple of episodes ago where there's a pattern where you have, especially with the with the seals and the bowls and the trumpets, where you have six of them happen concurrently. Then there's a break and then the seventh. So the break was chapter seven, which we talked about a couple of episodes ago between, uh, you know, which obviously happened between chapters six and eight. And now the seventh seal is finally opened, and the seventh seal is, of course, ushering in these seven trumpets, which will, of course, usher in these seven bowls. So this seventh seal, and remember, or ushers this all in. And remember that this is a seventh seal scroll. So now with the seventh seal broken, the scroll can be opened. And remember that scroll, that seventh seal scroll that the Lamb had in Revelation chapter five, is a title deed to the earth. And this is again fits into what we're saying, or what, what I've been uh, purporting, which is that this is an escrow closing. This is Jesus taking possession of what is his. He has, he opened the title deed to the earth. Now it's time to take it. So that's it's time to, uh, to, you know, to conquer the earth, to take what's his. And that's another reason that I believe that these trumpets are part and parcel of taking back the earth. And there was silence in heaven for half an hour. And as I said before, other Bible commentators, not me, other Bible commentators say that silence in heaven for half an hour is proof that there are no women in heaven. Now, I don't say, I don't believe that. But this other Bible commentator said that. Also, I would say that silence in heaven for half an hour may also be proof that there are no lawyers in heaven, because I've never heard a lawyer who can actually be silent for that long. But anyway, I think in all seriousness, this silence, I think, mirrors the uh, silence that the Israelites conducted themselves in silence as they uh, uh, marched around the city of Jericho to take down the stronghold. We talked about that in the last episode. Verse 2, And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. So who are these angels? Well, the short answer is it doesn't, the Bible doesn't say for sure. I think the, we, there's reason to believe the first four might be the same four that we saw in the last chapter, in chapter seven, who were holding, who were standing on the four quadrants, not corners, quadrants of the earth. And they were told not to harm the earth or the sea or the trees until the, the, until the 144,000 are sealed. And so now that they are sealed, you will find that these first four trumpets actually do um, harm the earth and the sea and so forth and so on. So these may be the same angels, maybe not. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. The Bible intentionally does not name angels. I think there's only a couple of them are named that are named Gabriel and Michael. You could argue that Lucifer is named, but actually Lucifer is not a proper name. It's a title. So, and why does God not name angels? Because he knows how we are. He knows that we probably start worshiping them. In fact, people already worship them. Even the two that are named, like for example, Michael, the archangel, the Jehovah's Witnesses believe that he was the incarnated Jesus, that Jesus was actually the physical form of Michael the Archangel. So technically, the Jehovah's Witnesses worship him. So anyway, the point is, these are angels. We don't know exactly who they are, but they are, but we know that this is their job to blow these trumpets, at least in this sense. Three, then I'm going to fly through the next uh, couple of verses. 
then another angel having a golden censer came still before the altar. And so he was uh, an angel is given some incense and they offer for the prayers of the saints. And we know that this represents prayer. We see in the Old Testament that God considers prayers to be a sweet incense before him. He loves our prayers and the smoke of the incense and the prayers ascended before God and angels. And so the, what are these prayers? Well, if you look at what's about to happen, I believe that these are the prayers of the saints asking God to do this. We, and in my opinion, if this is taking back the earth, um, I should say he's been praying that for forever since, mm-hmm. since um, Adam first fell. Um, we've been wanting uh, Jesus to come back and take the earth, to take possession of it. And so these prayers, I, I believe those are the prayers that, that are before God. And then he, he when he uh, takes this censer and which is full of the prayers and cast to the earth, there are noises, lightnings, thunders, and, and an earthquake. I believe these are literally happening. I think this is an announcement. God is announcing, okay, time's up. The earth is mine. I'm taking it back. And so the, I think the world is going to hear these noises. And I think those noises are probably maybe the prayers. You may be hearing, the world may be hearing the collective prayers of the saints that God has been hearing. And that's going to be frightening to them. And of course, thunderings, lightnings, and earthquakes. Um, I think these are happening in heaven, but I think they, they may also be experienced on the earth. Okay, so verse six, so the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound. Okay, so let's get into what happens when these angels sound their trumpets. Okay, so the first trumpet blows and you have hail and fire mingled with blood. So people probably don't have any problem generally with the hail part. Hail, we see hail all the time. You know, if you're, it's a normal part of the weather patterns. Fire, I mean, it probably doesn't throw people too much. Fire coming out from heaven, that's not without precedent. It's not, it's, you know, it's not the greatest thing in the world to happen, but you know, we can, we, we can kind of picture that. But it's when you mingle it with the blood. Okay, now that's kind of way out there. and People start to freak out a little bit and have to want to allegorize things or modernize things. Well, this can't be literal. This can't really be happening because it doesn't make sense to our non-supernatural eyes. So I've heard commentators say that, you know, well, you know what, what John is really seeing are, are, are missiles. He's seeing nuclear missiles raining down at some type of nuclear exchange. They look like hell because, you know, when their missiles are firing, the the exhaust is kind of white. You know, the the, the, propor, the uh, propulsion is, is, is white coming out of the, and if it rained, coming out of the back and if it rains down, you know, it may look like hail to him and nuclear, and nuclear explosions would explain how all the grass is burned up and how a bunch of, the, a third of the trees are burned up. Okay. And, oh, and of course, then being mingled with blood is, you know, it means that people are going to be dying. So that it's going to be a bloody exchange. Nuclear war is going to be is devastating. Sure. Well, I guess it makes sense in some way in that, yeah, if, if, nucle- if there was a nuclear exchange, sure, it would, I mean, the, the heat would definitely burn up a lot of the vegetation. But they're kind of trying to have it both ways. You can't make this literal and allegorical. You can't say that there's literal missiles falling down. And the but the blood is symbolic. You're kind of cheating. You're trying to kind of trying to have it both ways. And also, it doesn't make sense from just a, a, a reasonable standpoint. We're looking at what John has written. Look, John is not an idiot. John has seen hail. He had seen hail before. Hail does not look like missiles. I've seen missiles being fired, and I've seen hail. They don't look anything alike. And John would not confuse the two. He's an intelligent man. Give him the benefit of the doubt there. Give him some credit. What is happening here is what's literally happening. There is hail and fire mingled with blood. All three of those things are coming down at the same time. Why? Because it's supernatural. I think this is God making sure you understand this is not a natural event. This is not something that men are doing. This this is not warfare. This is not ammunition or bombs or missiles or anything else. This is hail. 
This is fire. This is blood coming down. Just take it for what it's worth. If God could create, could speak the world into existence, he can make hell, fire, and blood come down. I mean, if, if God can raise people from the dead, he can make hell, fire, and blood come down. Stop cutting, stop, stop um, limiting God's ability to do the supernatural. That's actually insulting to him. He can speak things into existence, and, he, and that's, this is what he's doing at this point. And so... And other people try to allegorize, try to make it softer, they allegorize and say, well, you know, this doesn't mean that all the grass is really burned up because they'll, they'll pull out some verse in the Old Testament where people or other things are compared to grass. Or maybe the grass means abundance and maybe this means that something happens that will affect the abundance of the earth. And trees are sometimes an idiom for people and human leaders. So maybe he's saying that leaders are are being affected. Folks, don't do a bunch of exegetical gymnastics just take the Bible for what it says. We talked about Occam's razor um, in, in some of the introductory passages in the first few episodes of Revelation Unveil. We talked about something called Occam's razor. It is a philosophical uh, mandate that basically says that the simplest explanation is usually the correct one. So instead of twisting and turning and trying to make the, the Bible fit your various theories and your fellow various beliefs, just read it for what it says. Fire, blood, and hail is coming down, okay? That's what's happening. So what's the effect? All green grass is burned up. Well, that's going to be really in a third of the trees. This is going to be devastating for a couple reasons. First of all, it's going to be a lot of fires. Um, I happen to live in an area that experiences seasonal brush fires and they can be devastating. We've had some happen in the last few years that just, you know, destroyed a, a lot of homes and businesses and they were, you know, really scary stuff. Well, this is going to be happening worldwide. Again, I don't believe this is regional. When he says all green grass, I think John knows the difference between all and some. And, and for those who believe this is regional, remember that John is not, not seeing this from the vantage point of earth. John has been called to heaven. Remember in Revelation chapter four, he is he is in heaven. He's seeing the whole earth. He isn't just, he's, he's not seeing this from the vantage point of Patmos. He is in heaven now. He can see all the earth. When he says all green grass, I think he means all green grass. So all the grass is burned up. So we're talking a worldwide brush fire. We're talking about all any area that is around any grassy areas, around any uh, grassy, um, yeah, any grassy areas are going to be burned up. That means houses are going to be destroyed. Businesses are going to be destroyed. Fire, uh, raging forest fire going out of control will, will really devastate not just the wildlife, not just the, the, the fauna, but it's going to destroy property. You can have billions, probably trillions of dollars of property damage happening from all these all these fires burning. There aren't enough firefighters in the world to contain this. As I said, I live in an area where sometimes wildfires go out of control and when they are, they fly in firefighters from around the from around the country and it's they still will burn for you know for, for, for days, for weeks. So and this is just regional. And if this is worldwide, yeah, this is not going to be contained until it burns itself out. And as to why a third of the trees are burned, well, no, trees are tougher to burn down than than uh, grass and brush. And I've, I've seen some of the after effects of wildfires in my area. And yes, so all the, the low vegetation, you know, trees and shrubs will be burned up. But you, I mean, sorry, excuse me, um, shrubs and grass will be burned up. But trees, you know, may be scorched, but they probably won't be burned up. So it makes sense that, uh, you know, there'll be uh, two thirds of the trees will, will, will survive. So, so we're going to have trillions of dollars of fire damage and property damage. And so it's not just going to be grass. I think it's all going to be basically any low-lying plant life. So that, that includes crops. So we're going to have some serious issues with 
uh, food supply, not only from not only veg vegetation food supplies, but also uh, meat, because without any green grass, you're not the animals that eat grass to survive are going to die. Cows, sheep, goats, pigs who, who eat corn and corn is technically a grass. And I think that all those crops are going to be burned up and they these animals won't have anything to eat, meaning that things that eat animals, including us human beings, will not have food. We won't have vegetables. We won't have meat. And if you take it to you know, the the wildlife, you have you know, animals like deer and bison and um, you know all, all elephants in Africa. They all eat grass. They're going to die off. There'll be nothing for them to eat. And so the animals that, uh, that are predators to them, you know, you know, lions and tigers and bears, oh my, and jackals and all the other animals that are carnivores, they won't have anything to eat. You're going to have massive livestock die off. You're going to have massive animal die off. It's going to be unsanitary because they're just going to, you know, they're going to die and decompose. Human beings are going to be starving to death. This is going to be some serious, serious problems here with with all that vegetation being burned up. Oh, which, by the way, brings me to a, a point I did not bring up in the in, in the um, uh, introduction, and that is the question of how long do these plagues last? So let's take a step back and, and let me answer that question. Uh, if you look, read certain commentaries and certain books, for example, the Left Behind series which, you know, was an entertaining read, but, you know, I think it had some serious errors in it. They made it seem like the, if you read those books, these uh, plagues will happen and then they're like gone in a few days and things are back to normal. That's not going to happen, folks. I can't tell you how long the hell, fire and blood um, storm is going to last, but I will tell you the after effects will not be recovered from quickly. Yes, grass can regrow. Probably in the next rainy season, you'll have new grass growing up, but it's going to take a, a pro probably about a year. And within that time, again, it's going to devastate um, the the earth. And we'll see when oceans are turned to blood. I don't believe that that blood's just going to disappear in a couple of days. I think it'll still be there. It'll be lingering on. And we'll talk about that more as we get to them. So I said that these uh, trumpet blasts are taking down strongholds. So what stronghold is going to be affected by the, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the, uh, the, the this destruction was well, going to be Satan's control of terrestrial provision and economy. Remember, Satan has spent the last three and a half years, if you believe that the this is happening in the first half of the tribulation, he spent, he spent all this time convincing the world that he is God. He's the master of the world's economy, provision and sustenance. But the first trumpet will permanently cripple the economy and food chain permanently. I mean, the, the next it's going to take more than seven years for uh, uh, for the world to recover from this. Again, the mass die off and the starving animal. Food animals and vegetation will be a worldwide famine, even worse than the famine that he perpetrated with the um, the, the black and, and, and pale horse. Billions will be left homeless due to their homes and businesses being destroyed. Millions of tons of smoke and soot will pollute the air, blocking out the sun and severely lowering the planet's temperature. Now, if you if you believe in climate change, man-made climate change, then you know what this what, what's happening now is nothing compared to what will happen when the smoke and soot of tons and tons of vegetation uh, being burned up. Uh, you know, it'll change weather patterns. It'll cause a spread of sickness and disease because again, with the, the, low, the uh, less sunlight and the not having enough vitamin D is going to affect the immune system. Yeah, it's going to be really terrible. So the inhabitants of the earth will call upon their new gods to help them. Remember, they believe that Satan and his fallen angels are gods and they'll say, help us, but they won't be able to do anything because again, they're, they're impotent before the power of God. So this will break that stronghold of Satan's control over provision and economy. Okay, let's move on to the the uh, the, the next uh, trumpet. And when that trumpet sounds, 
you have something that looks like a great mountain burning with fires cast into the sea and a third of the sea becomes blood, destroying a third of all sea life and all sea vegetables, not vegetables, sea vessels, excuse me. So what do we have here? A great, something like a great mountain burning with fire. Okay, this is a simile. John is not saying that a literal great mountain burning with fire. He says something that looks like it. So we can actually see this as something symbolic or something that, you know, John doesn't fully understand. This could actually be a meteor or asteroid because it's likely that John has not seen that happen before because when, a, you know, something that size comes into the Earth's atmosphere, it's pretty devastating. And, and you know, there's no record of, of, of anything like that happening during John's time. So this may be him seeing what a, a meteor or asteroid hitting the Earth for the first time. So so that's possibly what it is. Um, people who want to allegorize this say that mountains represent kingdoms and, and countries and continents. Okay, and we will see that later on in Revelation chapter 17 and 18 where mountains are, 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 are again, uh, seen as kingdoms. But that just doesn't make sense. You really have to allegorize the heck out of it and, and why would why would a kingdom be cast into the sea, turning turn the sea into blood? Well, you have to allegorize the blood, you have to allegorize the sea, you have to allegorize sea life. I don't like that much allegory. I'm going to assume that this is actually a big rock burning with fire. It could be supernatural, um, or it could be an actual meteor. It's in, in, in any case, it's cast into the sea, and a third of the sea becomes blood. I believe this is literal blood. Now, some folks who, who are on the modernistic kick will say, well, you know what John is really seeing here, a lot of people say, no, what's really happening? Because, you know, you're so much smarter than the people who wrote the Bible. What's really happening here is that John is seeing an oil spill. I've heard this, that this is what hap what's happening here is there is, again, the large mountain burning with fire is another, is warfare. Um, you know, it's a, a missile hits the Persian Gulf and there's an, a huge oil spill. It spills into the Straits of Hormuz and into the Persian Gulf. And now there's oil spills everywhere. Well, and so that's what John is seeing because um, looking at oil floating on top of the ocean, he probably thought it was blood. Well, a few problems with that. First of all, um, a nuclear missile does not look like a mountain. It just doesn't. They're, they're not that big. Secondly, John may not have seen oil. I will totally grant you that John probably has not seen an oil spill, but John has seen blood. And he probably knows what blood looks like. Oil floats on top of the water. And it has sort of, when, when light reflect, refracts on it, it has a kind of that little rainbow thing happening. You see when you put oil in on top of water. Blood and oil do not look the same. John knows the difference. John is intelligent. This is blood. Because in, in, get, there's precedent for this. God has turned waters into blood before in the, during the plagues of the Exodus. This is blood. A third of the sea becomes blood. Now, the question is, which third? Is it just a third of the sea even? Oh, and some people, the regionalized people will say, well, when John says sea, he means the Mediterranean Sea. Okay, that's possible. John does not specify which sea it is. It could be the Mediterranean. Um, but in a, a third of it becoming blood, again, the Mediterranean is a you know significant body of water, but not so much that it would affect the world. I think he's talking about the all the oceans of the world. Could be wrong here, but I'm, that's what I'm going to go with. And they become blood. So is it is it a third? In, is it a third of the area? Is it just the? It could now here's the, where it could be regional. It could just be a a third of the of the oceans that are around the Middle East and Eurasia, possibly. Or it could be as a third of the sea evenly spread all over the world. Don't know. No matter which one, though, it's going to be devastating. Whether it's a regional third or whether the third is just spread out all over the world. 
But um, a third of sea life is going to die and a, a third of, of sea vessels, which makes me, this is why I believe it's around the world because a third of sea vessels aren't in the Mediterranean. They're all over the world. So I think it's gonna be a worldwide thing and it's gonna destroy a third of those vessels. So what are the results of this? There is, uh, it's gonna have a terrible effect on the economy and food supply again. But this time on the maritime level, the portion of the world commerce that relies on ocean shipping, which is enormous, will be severely disrupted. And the portion of the food supply, which is based on sea life, which is also enormous, will suffer. Our seafood is there's going to be a, a serious shortage of seafood. Now you have a, a shortage of land food from the first uh, a plague. Now you're going to have a shortage of, of seafood. You're not going to have as, as much. You're going to have, you're going to lose a third of all the fish in the world. That is just going to be insane. Plus, not to mention the horrific psychological effects of billions of gallons of blood in the ocean. I mean, can you imagine what, what people are going to be thinking when they when they go to the beach and there's blood? I mean, blood's pretty disgusting once it's out of the body, all washing on shore. That's horrifying. And by the way, what what, do, what does this blood represent? Why is why did, why is there blood in both of these plagues? I think that that blood represents the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs. We're going to see that happen again, or, or see this uh, again in, in, in the bowls of wrath where. They uh, basically say an angel says specifically this blood. You know, you spill the blood of the saints, and now you know, you know, we're giving you blood back. So that's what this is about. And I also believe it has to do with life. Life is in the blood. We talked about this in, in earlier podcasts and um, and 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 blog posts. Life, life is in the blood. Satan is now claiming to be the source of life, and I think this is going to just show that he's not. Um, and like I said, some commentators try to minimize the effect by saying it's only in the Mediterranean Sea. And while I can't refute it, I just don't think it makes much logical sense to just limit this trumpet to this tiny section of the earth while the rest of them seem to affect the whole earth. So more off the strongholds. What strongholds do this affect? Well, again, this trumpet continues to destroy the false belief that Satan is God, the God he claims to be. This, this breaks his control of, the, of maritime provision and the economy. As I said, this is going to really devastate. This is going to completely devastate uh, everything that has to do with the ocean. So Satan is, has no power over land and he has no power over the sea. So basically this, this shakes his power over the entire, this shakes the belief that he has power over the entire earth. Both the earth and the seas are is showing that, is, is demonstrated here, is, is showing that Satan has no control and they can't do anything about it. He cannot stop these plagues. He does not have the power. He is powerless to stop it. And so people will start to no longer believe that Satan and these fallen angels are as powerful or the gods they claim to be. All right, third trumpet. Okay, the third trumpet heralds the falling of a star called Wormwood that lands on a third of the freshwater sources, essentially poisoning them so they kill anyone who drinks them. Okay, so this is not a literal star. This is some. This is a place where I will go with the allegorical, not the allegorical folks, but the folks who don't take this completely literally because we just know it doesn't make sense. You know, a literal star is millions of times the size of the Earth. We talked about this. Uh, uh, before in for Revelation 6 where the stars fall from heaven doesn't matter literal stars uh, they're symbolic of angelic beings and also this star has a name and you know it, and it only falls on rivers and springs this is not a celestial object this is an intentional spiritual event okay so the first two trumpets will greatly affect food while this trumpet uh, will devastate the supply of fresh drinking water so this 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 angelic being is called wormwood and it and it just falls on in fresh water so it's the spiritual now whether it's a good or a bad angel i don't i don't know i'm going to assume that it's a fallen angel because again it, it falls from heaven but again that doesn't necessarily mean that 
because when we again the Bible wasn't written in English, so as we say, see the word fall, and it doesn't necessarily mean fall in a bad way. It could just mean an, an angel has come down named Wormwood. But the reason I think it's probably not a good angel is because it has the name Wormwood, which means bitterness. And I would guess that a holy angel is not named bitterness. Uh, it could just be a fallen angel that God is using for these purposes. Um, or it could be just, you know, a fallen angel who has animosity towards mankind. We're going to see more of that next week when we when things get really, you think things were weird with these uh, four, first four trumpets. Wait till we, till we get to the, to the next two. And in this case, we will see that there are, are, are angels who have serious animosity towards man for some pretty interesting reasons that we'll get into next week. And they want to punish man. So God could be using an, an, this angel to basically poison man. So let's move on. Okay, so uh, what will the effect of this be? Well, again, this trumpet will devastate the supply of fresh drinking water. And in, in, while human beings can survive for weeks without food, although we don't want to, we can only survive for a few days without water. So with a third of fresh water rendered undrinkable, many people will die due to thirst and hydration. And again, I don't know if this is going to be limited to a third of the earth, like a portion, like, you know, let's say Africa is like a third of the size of the earth. Or you could say that, you know, uh, Eurasia, you know, uh, Russia and China and the Middle East and India may be a third of the earth. I, I don't think so because I, I, the Bible doesn't say, that doesn't specify that. So I just think a third general, I think it'll be spread around the world that just a third of water in general, because I think it would be kind of unjust just to make it a, a certain section of the earth. I think that the whole earth has fallen. The whole earth is going to, the whole earth belongs to Jesus. So the whole earth will be affected. So again, with, with the third of the fresh water rendered undrinkable, many will die of thirst and dehydration. And, and, and people will just get desperate and start drinking the water. No, just die because the water is poisoned. Oh, and, and as an aside, there was a fervor in the 1980s when the Chernobyl nuclear disaster occurred in the Soviet Union. For those of you who were not alive during the 80s, perhaps some younger listeners, um, it's interesting that you have to look it up, Google it. Uh, the, the nuclear waste poisoned much of the land from Chernobyl and the land in the area was made radioactive. The land and the water were radioactive for many years. And many Christians were greatly concerned that this had prophetic implications because the, the Russian word Chernobyl, name of the nuclear power plant, is the Russian word for wormwood. So I think it's interesting. It obviously wasn't the wormwood because you know it happened in the eighties and the tribulation hasn't happened yet. So I, I think I think it's probably a coincidence, or I think it's coincidence that it might be like a, a prophetic pattern, um, just kind of giving God giving people a warning. So the stronghold broken is again Satan's identity as the source of life. Okay, the first true Trump is destroyed. To believe that Satan has control over the earth and, and over provision. This will destroy. Satan's identity as a source of life because God is the source of life. Jesus is called the living water many multiple times in the Bible. It's synonymous, living water is synonymous with life. With fresh water devastated, the strongholds of belief that Satan as, as a life-giving God will be destroyed. So Satan is just losing all of his, his false belief powers here. Okay, the fourth and last trumpet. So when the fourth trumpet is blown, a third of the sources of natural light, the sun, the moon, and the stars are darkened. And the Bible says that a third of the day and night will be without light. So if we take that literally, which I, I see no reason not to, it means eight hours of our day and night are totally without light. So this means that, it, this doesn't mean it's going to be difficult to see. It means we, we, won't, we won't be able to see at all. So the light will not shine. It's not like, because some people say, well, a third means that the sun's going to be a, you know, a third less. So it'll just look like sunset all day. Nope, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that a third of the day in hours is going to be, 
it's going to be gone. It's just going to be darkness, just like it was in, in Egypt during the plague of the darkness. So not only will this be psychologically harmful, because by the way, lack of sunlight causes deep depression, and just um, add this depression along to the depression and anxiety and fear and panic that will have occurred with the other, with the previous uh, trumpets, you know, with water turning to blood and green and grass being burned up and wildfires and you know wormwood all that you, the people are going to be freaked out but now they're going to not have light for you know a significant chunk of the day they're, they're just going to be i mean the psychological effects are just going to be devastating um and it also it's going to harm whichever plant plants and animals that are left i mean whichever plants happen to live through the um the, the first plague with of, of being burned up well, they're going to die because they need the light of the sun to grow. They need they need it for photosynthesis, for photosynthesis. They need the moon to navigate and breed and perform other and other functions. So animals rely on the moonlight to to guide them, and you know birds use it the, the moon and the sun to guide them and to you know and they're going to, so the animals are just going to be completely messed up by this, and so are people are going to be messed up. The animals are going to be messed up, and so how does this darkening happen? Well, some again, some commentators attribute it to the dust and the soot in the air from the fires and the cosmic collisions of the previous trumpets. But again, like I said, that would only dim the light from the sun. It wouldn't completely eliminate it for eight hours only. So I think like the other two trumpets, these effects are intentional and supernatural. This is God darkening it, the sun and moon like he did during the Exodus. And again, these are a couple of the reasons, the similarities to the Exodus of the hail and the water turning to blood and the the celestial bodies being darkened. This is why people like Michael Heiser say that these, these are a repeat of the plagues of Egypt. Again, I don't think so because first of all, there are seven trumpets here and there are 10 plagues and these are the only ones that are, that, that, that are similar. The rest of them are very different. So again, that's my opinion there. So what stronghold is broken? Oh, this is a big one. The stronghold that is broken here is Satan's identity as the light bearer. The, I think it's called, um, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna totally butcher the Hebrew here, uh, Shakar bin Halal, or maybe it's Halal bin Shakar, one of the two. So it's Satan, uh, Lucifer, son of the dawn, Halal bin Shakar, or again, or or Shakar bin Halal. <laughs> anyway, Satan is Lucifer is the light bearer. That's been his identity, his entire existence. When you look at people who worship Satan, they worship him as the light bearer, as the source of light. The uh, the uh, Illuminati of the conspiracy theory world, which, you know, I happen to be a bit of a conspiracy theorist, and there are people who can call, call themselves the Illuminati, but they call themselves the illumined ones. They are the ones who have the light of Lucifer, the wisdom of Lucifer. They are Luciferians. That has been Satan's identity from the beginning is the light bearer. Well, now he, he's no longer that person. Now he is, there's darkness in the world, and there's nothing the so-called light bearer can do about it. Because yeah, you have to figure he's going to call himself that during the tribulation. He's going to say, "I am the bringer of light. I am, you know, I'm the light of the world." As opposed to Jesus, who was a true light of the world, Satan will he will position himself as a light of the world. But now you have this plague of darkness that again he is impotent to do anything about. And so if he was the true light of the world, surely he could extinguish this darkness brought upon brought upon the world by the evil god of the Bible. Well, he can't. Which again shows that he is not the source of light. He is not more powerful than God. He is not the true God. He does not control God. And that's going to, again, break that stronghold. People are going to be doubting, seriously doubting their belief in Satan. And that's another stronghold that's going to come down. Okay, so that is, that. those are the first four trumpets. 
but it's going to get worse because when we see these things happening, after these things happening, we we look at you know what the the angel proclaims. Well, before I get to that, I just want to you know, emphasize again about how long these trumpets last. These trumpet blasts last. Last. So again, I want to make sure I want to use the logic and the Bible to to show that these effects will not be short lived. Again, so so it looks like you know the first trumpet event seems like a quick the first trumpet blast seems like a quick event and that vegetation is burned up immediately and there's in it'll probably stop after that, but the events we felt throughout the rest of the tribulation, as I said before, grass is resilient; it'll start growing again after the next rainy season. Although the lack of fresh, although the lack of light and fresh water from trumpets three and four will hamper this, but the soot in the air from the burning will take months or longer to clear. Also, trees, you know, a third of the trees are burned up. They take, trees take years to grow, so they won't, they won't be back during this tribulation period. And there's no reason to believe the blood and the poison of the second trumpets will just disappear. So those effects will stick around. And it's not clear if the darkening of the sun and moon and stars is temporary. But, um, so there's no reason to believe that they won't last until Armageddon. But here's the thing. When we get to the last few verses, the angel proclaims, that as bad as the four, first four trumpets were, and they are horrible, as you can see, the angel basically says, you ain't seen nothing yet. He says, whoa, whoa, whoa. And basically, whoa means calamity. I mean, it's wailing, it's mourning. He's just saying, oh, this, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. He says, no matter how bad you think the first four trumpets were, the next three are going to be much worse. And that angel could not be more right. The next three trumpets are going to be horrible. The first the next two are going to bring, are going to if, if there was any doubt in your mind that these events are supernatural those doubts are going to be shattered with the fifth and sixth trumpet there is no way well I, I, I would say there's no way to allegorize this or modernize this but some commentators will give it a try and we'll talk about that next next week but this is pure demonic especially the the sixth trumpet there's no, you can't allegorizing that it takes some serious leaps of logic but they're, they're much worse in scope and in effect and then the seventh trumpet leads into you know the seven bowls of wrath, which are going to be even worse than these. So in the next post, let's wrap this up. In the next post, we're going to look at the fifth and sixth trumpet, which are primarily spiritual and incredibly frightening. And the unbelievers who rejected God and took the mark of the beast, and which we'll talk about you know down the road a bit. But that, and that's why I believe that these these uh, seven trumpets kind of overlap the midpoint of the tribulation where the mark of the beast is introduced. For these people who have rejected God, they will begin to realize what it truly means to be outside of God's spiritual protection in a very special way. Because in Revelation chapter 9, where, where these uh, last two trumpets blasts happen, these uh, next two trumpet blasts happen, they contain one of the areas in Revelation where I said, I don't have an explanation, or not a satisfactory one. So it is one of those areas where I truly have to say, I don't know what this means. It is something that happens that's so strange, so weird, so inexplicable that even me, who is quick to come up with all kinds of crazy theories, I don't even, I don't really have one that I can give credence. So I'll tell you what I think it means, but even my my theories don't fit. So there we go. All right, uh, we are way over time, so let's wrap it up. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Uh, please like, subscribe, and, ch and share. Please hit the like button, the subscribe button, the share button, the button button, the every button you can possibly hit to, to get this information out there. Please subscribe to faithbyreason.net by putting your email into the right navigation area so you can be alerted when uh, new 
uh, podcast when two new episodes are up. And yes, I know I need to update my website. I know, I know. I just, it's, I'm really busy. I'm doing the best I can. So YouTube for now, and I will try to get the website, faithbyreason.net, updated as soon as I can. And I will talk to you next week when we see, when we look at the next two woes, the Revelations chapter, Revelation chapter 8 and the 5th and 6th trumpet where whew, things go from crazy to completely ludicrously insane. And I'll talk to you next week.